so excited about this sermon. I told several people this morning, I might go for 30 minutes, I might go for an hour. I don't know. Usually I can tell based on my notes exactly how long I'm going to be within five minutes or so. Um, And I got done with this week, and for whatever reason, well, I know why. Um, I just can't tell. So this sermon's going to be a little bit different because um, about two-thirds of it is just going to be me reading Scripture. Um, uh, Half of the other third is going to be me reading quotes from other people. And then the final half of that final third will be me giving you what I think. So I think it's appropriate, right? So we are going to start with here. I think it's also appropriate that if you look at my t-shirt, my five solas, right? What's the one in the middle? Soli Deo Gloria is in the middle. And, and so we're going to talk why about, I love theologically correct t-shirts, by the way. They're just amazing. And this t-shirt is amazing. So we're going to get to that in a little bit. All right, so the Cambridge Declaration has this to say about Soli Deo Gloria. We reaffirm that because salvation is of God and has been accomplished by God, it is for God's glory, and that we must glorify Him always. We must live our lives before the face of God, under the authority of God, and for His glory alone. Charles Hodge wrote in his book, Systematic Theology, the end of creation, therefore, is not merely the glory of God, but the special manifestation of that glory in the person and work of Christ. He is the Alpha. He is also the Omega. He is the beginning and the end. And so here we start in the scriptures about what it has to say. First Chronicles chapter 16 says, glory in his holy name. Let the hearts of those who seek the Lord Rejoice, declare his glory among the nations. Psalm 29 says, Ascribe to the Lord, O heavenly beings, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. The voice of the Lord is over the waters. The glory, the God of glory thunders the Lord over many waters. Isaiah chapter 6, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne high and lifted up. And the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim, each had six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to the other and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God, the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. They lifted up their voices. This is Isaiah chapter 24. They lifted up their voices. They sing for joy over the majesty of the Lord. They shout from the west. Therefore, in the east, give glory to the Lord. In the coastlands of the sea, give glory to the name of the Lord. The God of Israel, from the ends of the earth, we hear songs of praise, of glory to the righteous one. Isaiah 43, I will say to the north, give up. To the south, do not withhold. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the ends of the earth. Everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made Habakkuk chapter 2 for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And Psalm 19 1 through 4 the heavens declare the glory of God, the skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day they pour forth speech, night after night they display knowledge. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard, their voice goes out into all the earth. So I don't know if you noticed, but all of these passages that we just read are in the Old Testament. So now we're going to move into the Old Testament and start. Luke chapter 2, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Matthew chapter 5, in the same way, let your light 
shine before others so that, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Ephesians chapter 1. So that we who are the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. Revelation chapter 4. Worthy are you, O Lord and God, to receive glory. John chapter 1. Okay, now we're moving more specifically into uh, the glory of Jesus. John chapter 1, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John chapter 11, But when Jesus heard it, He said, This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. John chapter 8, Jesus answered, And said, if I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my Father who glorifies me. Matthew 25, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. Hebrews chapter 1, he is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. 2 Peter chapter 3, to Christ be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. And Revelation chapter 5, to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. So as you can see, this is a major, major theme in Scripture. I could go on for another half an hour just reading specific Scriptures that talk directly about the glory of God. So as we read through just this sampling of Scripture, we can see that this is a very, very, very central theme in the Bible. The glory of God. Now, in order to talk about the glory of God, we have to talk about what it is, right? So, if we go back to Isaiah, it says this, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his what? Glory. So, um, I'm just going to read you a passage uh, from a sermon that I read this week as I was preparing from John Piper. It says, look at Isaiah 6, and notice how Isaiah shifts from holiness, the holiness of God to the glory of God in Isaiah chapter 6. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. So I infer from this that when the holiness of God radiates out and fills the earth for people to see, it is called glory. The basic meaning of holy is separated from the common. So when you carry that definition all the way back to the infinite separation of God from all that is common, the effect is to make him the infinite one of a kind, the rarest and most perfect diamond in the world. But there are no other diamond gods. God's uniqueness as the only God, his godness, makes him infinitely valuable, that is, holy. And from cover to cover, the great dominating reality of the Bible is that this infinite infinitely valuable, infinitely pure and beautiful, divine uniqueness, this godness, shines forth through creation and through all the acts of God in history and in redemption as the glory of God. That is, the outward radiance of the intrinsic worth and beauty and greatness of his manifold perfections. So I take the glory of God to be the radiance of the intrinsic worth and beauty and greatness of his Manifold perfections. Every attribute of God is a facet of the diamond that is the glory of God. If God lost any of his attributes, he would be less glorious. Indeed, he would not be 
God. So the glory of God is not something God possesses different from himself. As if I spoke of God's house or God's city. No, God's glory is the radiance of his worth and beauty and greatness himself. So this, is, this goes a long way in defining God's glory versus man's glory, correct? Because when we give men glory, what is it for? It is for acts or things that they do or things that they have. God's glory is who he is. It's the radiance of who he is. Jonathan Edwards said this, All that is ever spoken of in Scripture as the ultimate end of God's works is included in that one phrase, the glory of God. The refulgence shines upon and into the creature and is reflected back to the luminary. So God's glory, his holiness is radiated as glory out from him onto and into us and then reflects back to him. The beams of glory come from God and are something of God and they are refunded back again to their original, so that the whole is of God and in God and to God, and God is the beginning, middle, and end of the affair. This is the, the, the glory of God. As we start to, to really dig into it, sometimes people start to think, well, isn't that selfish? Like when God talks about not sharing his glory, isn't that selfish? But we have to understand that we have to think about the glory of God as different than we think about the glory of men. Because when men want to, to, to keep the glory to themselves, what's their motivation? Themselves. The glory of God is selfless. And as we read through the scriptures, we see that the glory of God is selfless. And God not sharing his glory with other gods is selfless, not selfish. So, uh, as we look at, the, as, let's do a real, real quick recap, okay? So we looked at, um, four weeks ago, we looked at the sola scripture alone, right? So uh, we look to scripture alone because only the word of God is that which is perfect in revealing God and his salvation. God is most glorified when his word is most trusted. All of these solas that we have gone through over the last four weeks revolve around this one. And they all find their end in soli deo gloria, the, to the glory of God alone. Okay, so scripture alone finds its worth in the glory of God. Our salvation is by grace alone, solo number two, because God acts out of his own motive to glorify himself and not for what he sees in us, and he is most glorified when we acknowledge that we owe everything to him and not because of our own self-worthiness. Our grace finds itself in his glory. Number three, we are justified by faith alone because all the work and the glory goes to God alone in Christ. And our salvation is won through the work of Christ alone, and so God is only glorified through Christ. All the solas revolve around the glory of God. And here's the thing. If we miss the point on any of them, do you know what we find? we find ourselves robbing God of his glory and taking it for ourselves. Any one of these solas. And so we think, yeah, these are five great statements that the reformers uh, who came out of the Catholic Church and the things that they saw, these were five statements that made 
make sense and we're good things, but it's so much deeper than that because these things are intrinsically connected to each other and revolve around the glory of God. And if we stray from any one of them in our hearts, we find ourselves robbing God of what is owed to him, namely his glory. And here's the thing, if we really start to think about this, like when we think about light that's, that's, that shines out and then is reflected back, right? It will happen. I, I in no way can rob the sun and just, you know what, I'm just going to make sure that the sun doesn't get any, you know, the moon doesn't get any of the sun's light reflected or the stars or anything. I'm just going to stop that. It doesn't work that way. God will be glorified. There's nothing that we can do to stop it. Now, um, the glory of God provides the kind of calibration for the way that we live our lives. If that makes, does that make sense? The glory of God provides us with the motivation and the purpose for everything in our lives. Right? So in everything that we do, do all for the glory of God, whether you're eating, drinking. Does anybody ever do that? Man, I'm going to sit down, I'm going to eat this meal to the glory of God. Right? Anybody do that yesterday? Most of the time where it's just like, I'm hungry and I'm going to shove my face. But do we do everything that we do? Is everything in my life done to the glory of God? This is our purpose. If you've ever struggled with purpose in your life, most of us have. The purpose of your life, ultimately, and the purpose of my life, ultimately, is to glorify God. To reflect who he is back to him. As I was researching this, uh, uh, this week, I came upon a really interesting story. Most of you know who this guy is. You've either heard his name or you've heard one of his songs. Uh, whether you liked it or not, you've heard it. Um, a guy named by the, name, the guy by the name of Johann, Johann Sebastian Bach. Anybody know that guy? Most of us do. Most of you took music theory in school, and there's two or three guys that you learned about. So one of the interesting things I learned about him this week, and it just popped up as I was doing all this research about this uh, sola, before Bach would write a single note of music, when he would sit down to write music, before he would even think or, or, or compose a single note, he would write at the bottom of every page, soli deo gloria. Did not know that. And so then uh, I, I was on my computer sitting in my office, um, James was over at the desk doing his homeschooling, and Shannon's looking over his shoulder, making sure he's not screwing around, which he usually is. Um, and I sat there, and so I was like, oh, this is interesting. This is really cool. And so then I jumped on Spotify and started listening to some of his music, and I sat there and cried for like 45 minutes. And so what I want to do today is I want us to sit quietly, this is weird. I've never done anything like this before. We're going to sit quietly. We're going to close our eyes. And we're going to listen to music that's written to the glory of God. Can we do that? Go ahead, Katie. Thank you. 
going to write cello suite number one in G major, right? So that's where, like, some of us will go, oh, I could never do that. But we have to remember that what the scriptures told us to do is that whether we eat or drink or whatever we do. And as I look around this room and this week as I was writing this, I'm thinking about all the different people in our church and all the different gifts that you have and all the different jobs that you do and everything that you're involved in it's five, six, seven days a week, and I'm thinking of all the ways that you guys are currently glorifying God through who he has created you to be. So the glory of God is ultimately manifested through the person and work of Jesus. Our salvation and the, the, the kind of the core anchor of these five solas is all about this idea of justification. This idea of our salvation is through, like we learn about it and we, we know about it through the scriptures alone. It is by grace alone, through faith alone, given to us by Christ alone and to the glory of God alone. It centers on justification and explodes from there into every area of life. So this idea, idea of the glory of God starts with our justification and goes to every corner of the earth. There is no corner in the earth where God's glory does not exist. And we can attempt to rob him of it, but the only person who loses is us. God will receive his due. God will receive his glory. We simply take ourselves out of the equation. God is glorified through you. And so we can start to ask ourselves these questions throughout each and every day as we step into situations, as we have difficult conversations, loving conversations, as we interact with our kids, our wives, our bosses. This question shapes everything. Everything about our lives. So the question, again, that some people ask is, why does God insist on receiving all of the glory? Now, this is, it's really... It's a dumb question, right? And it's born out of pride and rebellion. A plant would never say, why does the sun want to receive its glory as it continually lives because of the glory of the sun? Does that make sense? Did you know that everything that you are and everything that you could ever be is solely because of the glory of God? Every breath you take is a gift given to you from the glory of God. 
Creation, right? We just read that numerous times, and we'll read it again. Creation itself constantly sings the glory of God. You and I constantly, daily, moment by moment, second by second, receive the benefits of God's glory. And yet we want to shake our fist at him and say, how dare you want to receive it back? Because we're prideful, sinful human beings and we want it for ourselves. Psalm 19, again, the heavens declare the glory of God. Why? That's what they were created to do. That's why they're there. That's why the stars are in the heavens, to declare the glory of God. Isaiah 43 again, Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the end of the earth, everyone who is called by my name, whom I created. Why? For my glory, whom I formed and made. The purpose of everything in creation is the glory of God. Ephesians chapter 1. God works all things according to the counsel of his will so that we who are the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. This is what it means, like the the, the idea of the the Imago Dei, right? We are created in the image of God. What that means is that we were created to reflect back to him all that he is. You and I were created in the image of God, to constantly reflect to him and to everyone around us who God is and how amazing he is and how great he is and how beautiful he is and how infinite he is. That is our purpose. That's why we were created. The Westminster Catechism got it right when it said, man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. John Piper likes to rephrase it and say, man's chief end is to glorify God by enjoying him forever. Romans chapter 9 says that in order to make known the riches of his glory for vessels of mercy, which he has prepared beforehand for glory. Now this starts to take us into a new Uh, idea about the glory of God, right? If we look at that kind of the way John Piper rewords the Westminster Catechism, man's chief end is to glorify God by enjoying him, when? Forever. And then if we look back, the central story in everything that God does is the story of redemption. Why? Romans chapter 9 again, in order to make known the riches of his glory for vessels, that's us, of mercy, which he prepared beforehand for what? For glory. So this idea of God just taking all the glory for himself because he's a jealous God and he wants it all for himself is completely ridiculous in you when you actually read the Bible. Because, number one, you and I are uh, constantly benefiting and are alive solely because of the glory of God. But when we read Romans 9, and then we're going to move forward from there, we see that we are prepared beforehand for glory. You and I are prepared for glory. His glory is not selfish. It is selfless. Jonathan Edwards again, God is glorified only by, not only by his glory being seen, but by its being rejoiced in. When those that see it delight in it, God is more glorified than if they only see it. So this, like the first time I ever 
heard this idea, it kind of made my brain explode. Wait, so God is most glorified when I'm the most filled with joy and satisfaction and contentment in him and everything that he's given me. So then the glory of God benefits me to the fullest when God is receiving from me the most glory. And this is how he created it to operate. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 3. We all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. 1 John chapter 3, Beloved, we are now God's children, and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we will see him as he is. Romans chapter 8, Those whom he predestined, he also called, and those whom he also called, he also justified, and those whom he justified, he also what? Glorified. John chapter 15, Why is God so intent on making us glorious with his own glory? Jesus said his aim for us is that his joy, his divine joy might be in us and our joy might be full. God is most glorified in us when we are fully benefiting from his glory. There's nothing selfish about it. Romans chapter eight again. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing to what? The glory that is to be revealed to me. To us. For the creation awaits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. That's you and I. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. You and I are created to not only reflect back to God all that he is, but share in all that he is. Forever. Second Corinthians again. And we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. We, you and I, as followers of Jesus, as children of God, will be glorified with Jesus and share in his glory for eternity. That is an unbelievable fact. 2 Corinthians again. So we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away. Amen? We're a room of broken people. Some of us don't necessarily feel broken this morning, but last week we did. Two months ago we did. Two months from now we will. We are broken. Every one of us. There's not a single person in here that has not experienced extreme pain. And so Paul says, We do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away. Our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light, momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. 
beyond all comparison. Colossians chapter 3, when Christ, who is your life, appears, you will also appear with him in glory. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, but we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, beloved by the Lord, because God chose you as the first fruits to be saved through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. To this he called you through our gospel so that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Who's obtaining it? We are. We are going to obtain the glory of Jesus. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. First Peter chapter 4. First Peter chapter 5. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. And yet we constantly want to pull, 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 pull away from him. We constantly want to rob him of what we think we will gain as his glory. While all the while he is telling us, rest in my glory. As we give back to him who he is and everything that he has done through who he is, we will be more satisfied than we can possibly imagine but we will never be satisfied in any way possible until we understand this truth. Revelation chapter 21. And the city has no need. This is amazing. Okay, if you've ever read this before. Revelation 21. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. The glory of God will be to the degree that we won't need the sun. Think about for a second all that the sun does. It's not just about seeing, right? We have electricity for that, right? It's not just about seeing. It's about life itself. The glory of God gives life itself. We cannot give to God what he will not pour out on us beyond measure and beyond our hopes. As we give glory to God alone, he pours out on us now the glory of redemption, the glory that, though it may be hidden, will be revealed at our Lord's coming. The glory of living lives that matter, whatever the temporary trials might be that we face. The glory of our inheritance in Christ, the glory of someday being transformed, the glory of sharing in the glory of our great God. You think about, go clear back to the beginning. We talked about this a couple weeks ago, but go back to Genesis chapter 3. What happened? Adam and Eve are in the garden. They are sharing bountifully in the glory of God, in deep, deep relationship with him. And then something happened. Eve was given an opportunity, and Adam, they were given an opportunity to take some of it for themselves. That was the issue at hand. Were they willing to trust and revel in and reflect back and sit and rest in the glory of God or take a bit for themselves? And creation has been, as we just read a little bit ago, broken ever since. But the whole central story of the Scripture in redemption is restoring all things to what it should be. 
James Boyce, in one of his last sermons on uh, Romans 11, said, said it like this. To God alone be the glory. To those who do not know God, that is perhaps the most foolish of all statements. But to those who do know God and to those who are being saved, it is not only a right statement, it is a happy, wise, true, inescapable, and highly desirable confession. It is our glory to make it to him be the glory forever. Amen. So here's, where, here's how I want to close. I'm going to read three statements followed by three questions, and I just want us to think about them. Write them down if you'd like. I wrote them down. I have them at home. Renault van der Wright, I don't know if I can pronounce that right, said, Salvation is a work of God and only God. There is no glory to be given for this incredible work. There is glory to be given for this incredible work. It is not going to be a glory given to man in any way, shape, or form because all things are ultimately for the glory of God. So here's the question. How does God's sovereignty and salvation affect your view of him? Number two. When you speak or act in a given circumstance, relationship, or handling of resources, you should strive to represent the realities of God, the kingdom of God, and the wonder of God. We are his ambassadors. This is about him, not us. So in light of that statement, here's the question. What are a couple areas in your life where you are strong in this? And what are some areas where you're weak? Areas in your life where you do not reflect to represent the realities of God, the kingdom of God, and the wonder of God. And then number three, when we fail to represent him as we should, he gives us the gift of repentance. Repentance gives him glory because it reveals to us our need for him. So here's the question. How does the fact that repentance bring God, how does the fact that repentance brings God glory change your perception of repentance. Man, that was huge for me as I read that this week. How does the idea that God receives glory through my repentance change my perception of repentance? I want, like this, I mean, these are three simple questions. I could, I mean, you and I could, you could sit down in a circle and come up with 30 more easily. But I hope we get a glimpse, you guys, of what is going on here. These are not just um, five statements that a bunch of dudes 500 years ago came up with because the church that they were part of got them wrong. So much more than that. The glory of God is everything to us. It is literally everything. And we can see, I think that these, these questions are pretty easy to ask, and I think for most of us, they're pretty easy to answer. It's not hard to see, for most of us, the areas where um, we fall short in these areas. But then to reflect back on the idea that repentance itself actually gives God's glory? Man, he is good. I hope you see this. 
right? We are created to give God glory. And even when we refuse, we can come back to him and repent. And that repentance alone actually gives him glory. The glory that we will share in for eternity. You and I serve a wonderful, amazing, holy, glorious God. So we're going to sing some more. David and Olivia and Curtis are going to come back up and we're going to sing some more. And we're going to take communion. Here's what I want us to do. I want us to thank him for who he is and for what he has done. His holiness and how it radiates out from him in his glory and how we receive the benefits of that through Jesus Christ for our eternal glory. Amen? Father, thank you for your word. God, but most of all this morning, we are so thankful for who you are. God, we ask that increasingly day by day that you would make yourself more glorious to us. Open our eyes to who you really are. God, I pray that I would see you more clearly today than I did tomorrow. That I would know you more fully today than I did tomorrow. That your words would reshape my soul. We ask that this week as we go forward in our jobs, in our lives, that as we've been reminded of what you are and who you are and what you are due, Lord, that it would shape the way that, our, that we interact with people, the way that we interact with you, and the way we live every moment of our lives, Lord Jesus. We pray this in your name, amen.